welcome to the Bloke and the Bird show. We know we're a little late this week. Um, you know, it was a holiday weekend. We took one. Well, we were a bit slow to watch this weekend's race, and that had something to do with it. And in all honesty, our Saturday really, really sucked. Um, if you are friends with either of us over on Facebook, you saw we had um, what can only be described as a family tragedy, as uh, our middle cat shockingly um, and unexpectedly passed away on us. And uh, that has put us into a tizzy for the weekend. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no other words for it. I've actually got no additional comment for that. I, I can't. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's been a hard weekend. We're, we're putting the pieces back together. Um, and this is one of the ways that we need to do that. But I will say, as much as we love our fans to pieces, we are respectfully asking that no reference to Rainbow Road or Rainbow, Rainbow Bridge. Bridge. Rainbow Road is the Super Mario track. That would be cool. <laughs> but no Rainbow Bridges. Okay? Somebody's going to post a video of the Rainbow Road tracks. <laughs> <laughs> probably <laughs> and that would be totally okay yeah <laughs> rainbow Br- no just please now <laughs> that is the that's that's the only piece of that that i can uh i can ask but there is stuff going on in f1 so while we had to go become turtles and deal with ourselves for a few <clears throat> days f1 moved forward didn't it it did and since we were running behind last week. We hadn't watched Spa before we recorded. This week we have watched Monza, but there's so much that came out of Spa, actually around one area, which we'll get to in a bit. We'll talk about really what happened outside of the buildup for Monza. We'll talk about what really happened in Monza next week. This week is Spa and buildup to Monza. Okay. And... Unlike what we normally do with, with starting back or, or starting somewhere in the middle and bouncing around a bit before ending up with the winner, we're going to start with, from the beginning. We're going to start with the winner from the beginning yes. or at the beginning of the race? Are we yeah. going to go lap by lap throughout the entire race? Nobody wants that. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Nobody who listens to our show wants that. There true. are folks out there who dig that kind of stuff. True. But n- no. Um no, Lewis Hamilton won the race, which continued the back and forth in terms of victories. Because up until this week, there had not been, and this week being the Monza week, there had not been a single back-to-back victory in, Formu- in, in Formula One this season. Correct. Which is really unusual. True. And... What was it? They were tied until this week. They were tied three apiece between Vettel and Hamilton. Yeah, I believe so. So, but you know, now that we're not talking about Monza, but we're talking about Monza, Lewis has pulled ahead and had a back-to-back victory, and had the most number of poles of any Formula One driver ever. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty heady trifecta for Lewis at the end of this weekend. But back in Spa, he yes. wins Spa. And you recall there was the safety car period that bunched everybody up. Before we get to Lewis's opinion on the safety car, because that was a whole other thing. As you recall, coming out of the safety car, Lewis trying to control the pace, and I believe it was as they were coming into Eau Rouge to begin the climb, 
Seb pulled up alongside Lewis and made a really close show of passing. Mm-hmm. Almost pulled it off, but didn't. Lewis managed to retain the lead. Well, it turns out Lewis was in the wrong power mode. Uh-oh. Yeah, you know, the drivers throughout the race, they get to change the various settings to get, you know, uh, different levels of acceleration and, and, and such. Lewis was in the wrong mode. He got a poor jump initially, which is what allowed Seb to catch up. But because Lewis had managed to control the pace appropriately, he started to pull away. He got far enough away that he was able to break the slipstream on the front straight, which meant Seb didn't have quite enough power to slingshot past Lewis, which is what we saw. He says, however, that if he was in the right power mode, he probably wouldn't have been able to break that slipstream and Seb would have been able to slingshot past him because he would have been able to pull off that pass sooner. Oh... It was all a matter of when the power came and when it hit, and he lucked out. Oh, so whatever power mode he was in was a little sluggish at the front side of it, but when it kicked in, he was able, it was just at that particular moment, and the combination of what power mode he was in versus Vettel was in, and when their power hit. Wow. Yeah. So not just good, but lucky. Yeah. Very lucky. Now, the whole um, issue with the safety car, Lewis believed that this was a fake safety car. Fake? Yes. Um, Wow, he has been spending way too much time in America lately. Yeah, but a little different reason. It's actually, it's a NASCAR thing. Okay. NASCAR is notorious for, and they call them, um, phantom safety cars. That's what it was. Phantom debris is what triggers a pace car in NASCAR. They, NASCAR does this every so often because it allows them, especially if there's like, oh, a lap and a half to two laps left in a race, it bunches the field up and you get this sprint finish. That's what Lewis alleges here is that there was phantom debris on the track as a well, result of he the He said Ocon. on the radio, what debris? There's no debris. Right. To which the F1 cameras quickly uh, cut over to the huge chunk of Force India nose uh, end plate. <laughs> Actually, it was I don't. It was a lot more than an end plate. It was a whole nose section sitting in the middle of the track, thanks to the games being played by Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez. They were not driving F1 cars that weekend. They were driving bumper cars. Yeah, things have gotten a little heated over in the Force India garages. The Force garage? <laughs> I, I got stuck there. Um, no, the, the Force India garage. Uh, Sunday after the race, Esteban Ocon put up a tweet. Actually, no, I'm, yeah, it was Sunday. Um, Damage limitation today. We were having a good race until Perez tried to kill me two times. <laughs> anyway, he didn't manage to do so, ending up P9. Um, the interview that he had post-race with Jenny Gao. Now, Esteban Ocon, he tends to be fairly subdued and calm in his reactions. Jenny Gao said he was so annoyed he was vibrating. Wow. You could, you could see how 
ticked off he was just watching his body language as he moved around the press pen post-race. He was livid. Now, Perez takes responsibility for the first incident. He says that was his fault. He was wrong. And there's, I think there's, there's even some question about that because there were three wide. Um, there was, I think it was Palmer who was on the, the outside of Perez. Palmer may not, there was no way for Palmer to know that Ocon was on the other side of Perez as he was squeezing over. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a cascade of, of issues there, and, and nobody got penalties for that. A little questionable on the second incident, though. <laughs> Actually, a lot questionable on the second incident, though. S, or, or, yeah, um, Sergio has not accepted responsibility for that incident. He got the penalty, though, didn't he? Um, I believe he did get a penalty, and ultimately he had to retire the car. But he has not accepted blame for that incident, squeezing uh, Esteban against the wall. I mean, there was no reason for it. Yeah. Now, according to the Cothard methodology of laying blame, mm -hmm. if you are <coughs> assessed a penalty, it is your fault. And it's, it's if a, you are not assessed a penalty, it is not your fault. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see and understand that. Um, Sergio says that he think thought that Esteban was too optimistic. Now he was right that there was no re no need to touch there. Mm -hmm. Sergio, there was no reason that Sergio couldn't have given him more room. But he says that, yeah, there was no need to touch there. Ah. So, yeah, I don't know. Now, the team is pissed, obviously. Well, it's like the, I want to say almost an unwritten rule, but I believe it's entirely written down. You don't crash into your teammate. Well, they had an incident in Canada. Mm -hmm. They had an incident in Baku. They had an incident in Hungary. And now two incidents in Spa. The team's kind of pissed. Well, yeah. <coughs> I mean, it's a team sport. Part of the key of doing well in a team sport is that both cars come home. That's why mm -hmm. it is... It, it, the unbreakable rule is you don't take out your teammate. You can take out anybody else on the field as long as you can make it home and your teammate can make it home. Well, Otmar Safnauer and Force India it, as a team are looking at options for how to deal with this situation. A little counseling, possibly, you know, couples therapy. Well, they started with the naughty step. Mm. clearly the naughty step has not been working because the situation has been getting worse. Do you think they had to borrow the naughty step from uh, Rosberg and Hamilton over at Mercedes? Well, you know, you, you've asked this before. I'm pretty much convinced that they've had one. Remember that this is uh, this used to be Eddie Jordan's factory. Oh, they had, so, a, they had a naughty step. Yeah. Possibly with Jordan on it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking there might be a naughty lounge. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably less of, a, less of a punishment than it was originally intended to be. Um, but, uh, that's a completely <laughs> different... That's a different podcast, honey. Oh, okay. No, so, well, one of the things that they're looking at, and uh, 
apparently they have threatened the drivers with is that uh, a if it happens again there's going to be race bands handed out between the drivers Ooh. now how they would handle that i don't know because i don't believe that they have a reserve driver i have to have somebody um actually there was talk last week yeah i think it was last week going into spa that some somewhere in the area of three quarters of the teams on the grid do not have reserve drivers so if something happens to one of their sitting drivers they do not have a paul DeResta that they can call to come in and take the driver's place there's got to be somebody in a junior mercedes program that can sit in that seat i don't know i mean i wouldn't be surprised if Force India needed somebody that badly that they'd grab Verline from, I mean, and didn't have another option. Verline, you know, get out of your Sauber, come up to Ferrari team. Yeah. (laughs) Get out of your Sauber, come up to Force India. I mean, somebody somewhere's got somebody that they can put in a seat. Yeah. I mean, Um, they could call Paul Durasta. I mean, they had to. Well, no, they can't. He's under contract with Williams. Well, they, they call Claire and they go, hey, can we borrow him? The other thing that the team is looking to do, and we, we saw some evidence of that already this weekend, the drivers are not cleared to race each other anymore. <laughs> the team is looking at strategic ways more than just the team orders of give up the the position they are looking for strategic ways to keep the two drivers from ending up in a position where they can race each other to go so far as if they need to they'll put them on differing tire strategies well they did that in monza yep they had them on completely different tire strategies so that they wouldn't come close to each other and they still wound up being right next to each other for a period of time yeah what auto soft now are said coming out of uh the race in spa he said, I only saw what you saw on TV, but it looked like Sergio squeezed Esteban into the wall and came out the loser of that scrap. In the future, they'll never have that opportunity again. We've let them race up until now. If they can't do it in a manner which is good for the team, then they won't be racing anymore. They shouldn't be coming together. We've given them the latitude to race, and I've always said that. We've told them if it happens again, if a Baku-type incident happens again, then we'll be calling a race from the pit wall in the future. If we stay fourth, it will cost us nothing, but it's definitely cost us points. The team is ticked. And, and, and they should be. I mean, they shouldn't be colliding with each other. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't bode well for either of their careers either. I think that's a very important thing that some of these young drivers forget is as you're coming up, people are watching. People are watching not just how well you drive, but how well you work with the team. Well, yes, but on the other piece of that, especially when it comes to Esteban, is it Esteban more than Sergio is working very hard to prove himself and his skills for the team, mm-hmm. for to all the teams out there. And as a result, yeah, he's looking to be a bit aggressive. He doesn't want to get walked all over by Sergio. He wants to say that, I'm, you know, you're looking for a driver for your better car, whatever that may be. You want me. You don't want Sergio. 
So because of that, yeah, he's he's being a bit more aggressive. But, and I think because of that also, Sergio's pushing back just as hard. But being aggressive <clears throat> doesn't mean you shut the door on your teammate. It doesn't mean you push your teammate into the wall. I think it shows immaturity on, on Sergio's part more than I think it shows a problem with Esteban. Sergio has more time in the sport he should have more maturity about what he about his 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 position in the whole of f1 yes but we're talking about sergio perez well that's my problem (laughs) is you know he got called up to the majors when mclaren brought him up for that one year and they they sent him right back down because they and they they were pretty public about he was just not ready Mm mm-hmm and this time around, it comes across as being, you're really not mature enough. You're a good driver, but you're not so great that we can handle that kind of, of reaction. I mean, keep in mind, I'm not saying that the greats don't crash, and I'm not saying that the greats don't push themselves <clears throat> to the point of being obnoxious. Uh, Schumacher was notorious for forcing crashes and forcing incidents Mm -hmm. and things like that and he wasn't the nicest guy on the track well i i think this is an issue where and yeah it was less of an issue last weekend once the the contract announcements came out but we know that sergio was angling for the seat at ferrari that didn't materialize right we know sergio wants to move back up into a better performing car, never mind the fact that there's no chance he's getting into Red Bull and there's no chance he's getting into Mercedes. Ferrari was his only opportunity. True. <coughs> I mean, he could go back to McLaren he, if Fernando ever makes a decision. Yeah, there's that too. Which, yeah, I, th- I think it's time. Uh-oh. <laughs> that McLaren Honda has become a clown car? Um, no, more that, it, that, that it's been a bit of a circus. <laughs> and the circus continues. Oh, no. L- let, let's first start off with um, Fernando and Spa. Okay. Um, yeah, they, they had a, a fairly decent qualifying. Now, some of that was they worked well together both Stoffel and uh, Fernando worked very well together to take advantage of the toe and to. They took advantage of the slingshot yeah. shot <laughs> that comes you. with the toe. And, and the slip streaming and the extra speed that they could get out of that. And that helped them get one of the cars, at least, into uh, Q3. Yeah. Now, McLaren freely admits that that was strategy. That was their plan the whole way through that they were going to do this. And it worked out, and it did. It worked out perfectly for them. However, once the race started, um, Fernando could not keep up. Mm -hmm. Um, He was getting past left and right, slowly running back. He was um, rather frustrated over the radio at the performance of the car. And uh, ultimately... He said on lap 26 that there were engine problems with the car and the car needed to be um, retired. 
Um, what Fernando had to say was, it was a difficult ap afternoon, and we were not competitive in race trim. The car was too slow on the straights, and it was impossible to have any battles out there, so points were also impossible today. Eventually, we had to stop due to an engine issue. Okay. Sounds completely good, right? reasonable. However, according to the team's data, there's no evidence that there was a problem with the car. Huh? Come on, say what? <laughs> <laughs> well, talking to uh, Mr. Hasegawa uh, over at Honda, he says after starting brilliantly, Fernando then had a tough race overall. He radioed with what he thought was a problem with the car. And although there was nothing showing in the data, we decided to stop the car as a precaution. And when they took the car back in and looked at it post-race, they found nothing wrong with the car. You think Fernando parked it? Well, that's the question. Is, out of frustration, did he park the car? And apparently, there are rumors flying around that this is not the first time Fernando has done this. This season. This season? Wow. There are rumors flying around that he did the same thing in Barcelona as well. It doesn't seem very sporting. It, it Well, for a Formula One driver, it's not. And it's that whole attitude of you never know what can happen and who's going to blow up and when they're going to blow up, which is why even when we have one of the top runners who are all the way back starting in last place, they still run the race. Mm-hmm. It's a little prima donna -y, really. It's a lot prima donna -y. Totally a word, by the way. Well, we've used it twice, so we just need to come up with one more, and it's ours. <laughs> Fernando is prima donna -y. <laughs> Okay, I think that's a little bit of a different thing. But, okay, you conjugated it. I, I did. I'm making it mine. So it's not an adverb, it's a verb, because you can conjugate it? Can you prima donna, Lee? No, it's got to be an adverb. I can't conjugate it. No, okay. Sorry. And that's okay. I, I got distracted. I moved on to the next article, and there was a picture of the side of the McLaren, and I went, hey, that looks like an arrow cat. Uh-oh. <laughs> did, they, did they get an arrow cat? They've got a barge board. It, it's, it's painted black, so it doesn't stand out, but um, it's pushed back a bit more than the Renault one, but it looks a lot like an arrow so I got distracted. You know what? What? I think that Renault needs to send us an arrow cat. I mean, in sympathy. People need to start tweeting. I mean, I tweeted Renault and it didn't respond. So we need more people to, to tweet uh, Renault Sport F1 to tell us that they need to send us an arrow cat. Yes. The bloke and the bird need an arrow cat. We but, would take very good care of an arrow cat. Speaking of Renault. You know how we talked last week that uh, the talks between Toro Rosso and Honda were off? Yes. Yeah, they're back on. Okay. <laughs> so is this like a high school romance? Um, it's no, on again, I, off again, on again. It, it, it's a lot of things. It's, compl the, it's the complicated. The Facebook status is it's complicated. <laughs> so... Let, let's start with, first off, um, McLaren is still pushing to split from Honda. 
They're fed up. They're annoyed. They're done with this. They don't want to play this game. Um, we had also mentioned last week that Fernando had given McLaren um, an ultimatum that mm-hmm. you either dump McLaren or dump Honda or I'm out of here. Um, the team is has confirmed that they are eyeing Renault for an engine supply. Okay. Where we run into a problem, among other things, is that um, that would mean Renault would be supplying a fourth team. Correct. Um, and I believe Renault has come out and said that they're not really in a position to supply four teams. Um, not just that they're not in a position. Uh, they have come flat out and they have said they cannot do it. They will not do it. Um, and it's too late in the season. Their supply chain can't handle it. They cannot get the parts on hand to even do a fourth team. I cannot do it in a boat. I cannot do it on a moat. I cannot. I yeah. will not. I will not. You will not. Where we know things initially fell apart before Spa is McLaren is all for this deal. Toro Rosso is all for this deal. Honda is fighting it. Okay. Honda has, has, is doing whatever it can to prevent the split the issue appears to be and and to some extent it's money some i don't think it's money um it it appears to be the fact and and i think rightly so is honda views moving to toro rosso from mclaren being a step back on the grid and it is it's their fault that it's a step back on the grid but it's a step back on the grid you don't being the works engine provider for Toro Rosso doesn't have the same cachet as McLaren. There's no history there with Toro Rosso that there has been and, and that there is with McLaren. And that's the problem. Except for the fact that Toro Rosso is actually ahead of McLaren and has been ahead of McLaren since Honda's return. Well, there- so it's actually a move up the grid, even though it's psychologically a move back. This is like dating the nerd in high school. Sure, you want to date the, the football player and the popular kid, but you know you're actually going to get somewhere if you date the nerd. Well, th- there's the other piece of that, too, is that if you're coupled with McLaren, because it is McLaren and where McLaren and everybody believes, including McLaren, where they should be on the grid, there's a lot of pressure to perform and to produce. Torosso's a mid-pack team. Right. There's not that as much pr- pressure. That Figure pressure it out isn't there. The pressure. And oh, by the way, and, and, and this goes back to your other piece of do you date the jock or do you, do you date the nerd? You go to Toro Rosso. You figure it out in Toro Rosso so that the machine is working. You're going to get Red Bull as your works team. Yep. I mean, it's it's not exactly a losing situation or a losing proposition for Honda if they can figure this out. Exactly. Red Bull's already disappointed with Renault. It won't take much if you can just figure out the engine. Mm-hmm. But the risk here is... I'm wondering if what all of this says is that Honda doesn't know what the problem is with the engine, and they don't foresee that it's going to get fixed in a year. Well, I, th- I think they know 
what the problems are. I don't think they know how to fix them. The estimate is that um, they're currently, once again, down on horsepower. Actually, the, the number being quote thrown around is, once again, around 80 horsepower. Whoa. I mean, and, that's and, an entire G-Wiz down. Do you realize that? Yeah. It's a classic Mini Cooper. I mean... Yeah. A couple of more horsepower, and we're talking about Claire. <laughs> the official, official 1970s British convertible of the Bloke and the Bird show? Yes. Yes. And I didn't want anybody to confuse it with Claire Williams. Who Did you see her on the grid? I hope she's carrying twins. That's all I've got to say. She has got to be due any day now. How is she traveling? Yeah, I don't know. But things... Honda is so desperate to get this sorted out and, and to keep McLaren. Um, there were apparently um, a long round of meetings in Tokyo on Friday between representatives from McLaren and the head of Honda Motorsport, Masahi Yamamoto. Okay. So this is like as far up in Honda as it can go and still be in the motorsport group. Those talks apparently haven't settled anything, so Mr. Yamamoto hopped on a plane Saturday morning and apparently was in uh, Monza this past Sunday, where additional talks were being held to sort this out. Now, word on the street was that um, Toro Rosso wanted everything settled and a decision in place and an announcement ready to go by 6 p.m. Sunday. Okay. Now, that's since come and gone. We've heard nothing. Now, didn't Toro also want a gearbox from McLaren also as part of this deal? Well, that's one of the other things that, that's kind of rolling around here is, and, and I think that's part of the sticking point, is that one of the deals that has been going on in order to supply whatever team gets the Honda engine is the potential for McLaren to supply a gearbox. Um, to the point that Frederick Vasseur over at uh, Sauber said that that was one of the reasons why they decided to walk away from their deal with Honda because they were supposed to get a gearbox from McLaren and they were deeply concerned about what it would take to get such a gearbox if McLaren walked away from Honda. So that was what I was wondering was, is there going to be some contingency in this deal that McLaren then can't walk away from Honda so that Honda has two teams on the grid so that the gearbox can part of the deal can also be accomplished? Yeah, that we don't know. But it's I, – I don't think that there's a gearbox in it for Toro Rosso. It, it would not surprise me. If between the Red Bull and Toro Rosso organizations, they have the capability to build their own gearboxes, mm -hmm. I don't know. Interesting. So as we record right now, there is no decision one way or the other. We don't know what's happening. But basically, there's three choices here. Either Honda figures out a way to stay with McLaren. Honda goes to Toro Rosso, freeing up an engine supply for, for Honda, or for McLaren, rather. McLaren then becomes 
a Renault team or everything falls apart, which I, I can't see this happening. Um, McLaren somehow manages to convince Renault to be a fourth line of supply, and Honda's gone. I don't know. I, I can't I mean, see. I mean, there's a fourth option. Okay. I mean, th- there is a fourth option. The, some other team, some wild card team in this, could get swept up into a Honda deal as a possibility. Um, but, but what Honda know. desperately needs is a second team on that. They need more data points. They need a second team on the grid. They need to figure out how to keep McLaren and get Toro Rosso. They need uh, McLaren and Sauber. They need to have this extra team because they'll double the amount of data every race. They'll double the amount of data in testing. That is going to be crucial for them to sort out the problem. But the question becomes, um, especially given where we are in the season, knowing that the Sauber deal fell apart, is Honda in a position that they can supply a, a second team? Did they build up their supply chain enough to supply another team? And I don't know. I don't have that answer either. I'm Cause, not inside. But, but that, that's been one of the sticking points in previous years about why Honda hasn't pursued the second team was they've turned around and, and – yeah, some of it may have been Ron Dennis putting words in their mouth, but they've said that they didn't build up the ability to manufacture engines for more than one team. Well, okay, which is that a stupid, stupid move in its own right. <laughs> but that was just stupid. Yeah. Now, Fernando denies that he has put forward the uh, the ultimatum. He says, absolutely not true. He says, I have absolutely not decided. More than anything, I am not bigger than a team. He says, it seems people forget that I'm racing here for three years, giving my maximum. I tried to race with a broken rib in Bahrain. He said, going back to what happened in Spa, we retired the car and I checked the whole engine and it seems everything is fine. So we'll try to fit, uh, they, they tried to fit the new engine. Again, they went, Again, with the spec four engine, um, ran it in practice and said, if it blows, well, we'll, we'll, we'll have to change it again because, you know, that's what happens there. He says, I think we do have some ingredients to be champions. I think the team did approve a lot in the last three years. I think we have the talent in the team and we have the facilities. We just miss being more competitive. We will see what the numbers are saying for next year. And after that, try to make a decision. Okay. <clears throat> I will translate that for you from Fernando Ease. Okay. One, I firmly believe that we can win races with heart and equipment, <laughs> like buildings, but we don't actually have a decent car. Two, I personally did not lay down an ultimatum about leaving Honda or me, but... If some of my people might have called some of the <laughs> McLaren people, uh, who am I to say that mm, that didn't happen? Or, or if, you know, might have mentioned at breakfast with Zach Brown one morning the, you know, 
I'd be more willing to stay next year if you got rid of Honda. Yeah, I you know, I poised my pin over that contract, you know, on the signature line, but I'm not so sure that my pin works unless, you know, without Honda being We done. sure this pen has a Honda engine in it? doesn't have a Honda en- engine in it because it doesn't seem to be working right now. Exactly. <laughs> now, I ask- hear Honda's got good IndyCar engines. <laughs> Maybe I should go pursue those. Yeah. <laughs> now, asked whether he thought Honda could be competitive in the short term, Fernando replied, I think you never know. It could be possible. Why not? Yeah. Unicorns could be possible too, but they're not likely. <laughs> yeah, I could be competitive in Formula One too. I think you never know. It could be possible. I mean, as it stands now, I've had fewer crashes than Lance Stroll. Yeah. Um, yeah. The continued saga of the circus that is McLaren Honda. You know, have you noticed, and this is, I'm, I will ask forgiveness in advance this is a bit of a tangent but have you noticed the way lewis speaks these days about his history because for years when he was still with mclaren it used to be mclaren picked me up when i was 13 i've been with mclaren since i was 13 i have always been with mclaren okay recently you hear him talking about I've been with Mercedes. All of my wins have been with Mercedes. All of my pole positions have been with Mercedes. I have been with Mercedes. I'm like, it's an interesting. But he's he's right. He's He's right. Completely right. He's a hundred. Yeah. It's not that he's lying and he's not redoing history, but I find it an interesting little shift in his, Mm -hmm. his thing. Because the first time he said it with the pole position, it was with the pole position when, now keep in mind he he's done it once or twice before this weekend. Yeah, but it's but it's coming up a little bit more and more as he's really pushing some new boundaries. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind he's been with Mercedes for what is it three years now? Four years. Four years. Four years he, now. Twenty thirteen was when he. Started. And I don't know the exact count, but because Mercedes got this engine so right so early. A large percentage of his pole positions have been with the Mercedes team, mm-hmm. and his wins, and his and his wins. Um, but okay, so he said it in the interview about his latest pole award, which is the all-time number highest number of pole mm-hmm. positions of any F1 driver ever. And he said, and all of them have been with Mercedes. And I actually had that double take in my head of going, wait a minute, you had pole position before you joined the Mercedes team? That you haven't gotten 69 pole positions in the last four years? And then I remembered, oh, that's right, McLaren ran a Mercedes engine back then. And they were the Mercedes works team. Right. Yeah. So in a way, he's only ever been with the Mercedes works team. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, except for those years when Mercedes came back, when well, Schumacher came back. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if those two or three years McLaren was still a works team. They weren't paying for engines. Right. So I don't know. All right. So let's talk grid penalties. Grid penalties. Well, we had a question. First off, well, hey, I Richard, was gonna how's go, our levels? Yeah, there, there's that. But, but before we even go to the question, 
there were a lot of grid penalties. It started with, with us knowing that Fernando was going to get 35. Um, I don't even think anybody is really clear in Spa how many grid penalties Stoffel Van Dorn ended with. <laughs> I thought it was 70-something. I've heard 70. I've heard 65. I've heard 50. As we have, That's how bad it has been. I, as we have joked many times before, and I actually heard our joke on Channel 4, therefore... Yeah, Steve Jones over at Channel 4 mentioning that Fernando had so many penalties, he was starting in Spa. Glad to hear that Steve has caught up with us. Hey, you know what, dude? Leave us a comment. We appreciate it. <laughs> We're big fans, by the way. We, we, we like you guys over there. So, Except your openings with David Cothard... They're getting, they're getting uncomfortably weird. weird. They're getting weird. <laughs> Not just get, weird. You might want to. You might want to get a room. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so grid penalties, and where we have been talking is it has been primarily related to engine penalties, but there's more to it than just that, and 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 that's where I want to start with. And these are coming from the sporting regulations as well as the technical regulations. You are not going to read the sporting no, or the technical no, regulations. Not word cause... for word. But first off, okay. stewards have the ability in uh, extreme cases to enforce penalties outside of what we normally see for um, uh, infractions on the track, causing collision, things. A lot of times it's time penalties. It, it's uh, stop goes, things like that. Uh, but they can also... You know, as mentioned, exclude a driver from race results, or they can add any number of they can drop a driver any number of grid positions at the next Grand Prix, mm -hmm. regardless of where they qualify. Um, beyond that, any driver who receives three reprimands during a season automatically receives a ten-place grid penalty for the current or next event, but only if two or more of the reprimands were for driving infringements. So now let's move on to the mechanical stuff. For starters, when, a when you go through a season, um, the teams have a schedule for replacing uh, various components, gearboxes, engine components, all of that various bit. Right out there, and this rule's been around for a very long time, every unscheduled gearbox change will require a driver to drop five places on the grid. So... Yeah. Going into the weekend, they blow a gearbox. You need to change the gearbox. That's a whole five-place penalty. But you can get a penalty not even for just changing the gearbox. And we saw this happen in 2012. Yep. And it left a very bitter taste in a lot of folks' mouths for doing it. But it was a legitimate move. Once a car breaks the well exits the garage in qualifying it's said to be in what's known as park firm a condition that means that outside of tire pressures and some very small changes to aerodynamics you can't change things on the car and there are seals put in place to detect modifications that are happening these very high-tech seals could even be zip ties yes well in 2012 in brazil Fernando Alonso was in contention for the uh, the drivers' championship last race of the season. He gets out qualified by his teammate Felipe Massa, and as a result, ends up uh, one position back from Massa. But instead of being on the clean side of the track, he's on the dirty side of the track. So Ferrari turns around 
after qualifying, breaks the engine seal on Massa's car, thereby earning him a five-place grid penalty and moving Fernando up a position on the grid and onto the clean side of the track. Exactly. They didn't actually change anything. They just broke the seal. Right. So you can get a grid penalty just for doing something like that. And, okay, let's just review for a second, 2012. They broke the seal, walked over to the stewards, and says, we broke this seal. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look what we did. <laughs> we did this. <laughs> we did this. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even like. Ooh, ooh, give us a penalty. Give us a penalty. <laughs> Please give us a penalty. Um. <laughs> So yeah, that was that that is interesting. Now I want to back up for one second, just so that we're very very clear about how grid penalties work in reality. It's one sentence is easy enough. You still qualify. It's a big mm -hmm. deal that you actually give it a shot to qualify. You are placed in order of what you qualify as, including if you are P one, two, or three, yep. you go to the driver's interview for qualifying that high regardless of how many penalties you might have. It's not a happy interview. It's but. not a happy <laughs> interview, but it happens. Once you qualify, whatever that position is, you subtract all of the positions of your grid penalty. Five is a very common number. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you were P2 and you got lost five grid, penalty, grid places, you would be P7. Now, we, before you go to... There, Let's go through the rest of the rules oh, okay. as to how Sorry. this works. So one of the other changes that we, that has been implemented over the last several years as a cost-saving measure was a limitation on the number of, because they're not technically called engines, they're called power units. And they break the power units into a certain number of elements. Correct. You're only allowed to use, as of this year, last year that number was five of each element, this year, that number is down to four. You change out, uh, you get to number five, you start getting grid penalties. So uh, each driver is permitted to use only four of the six power unit, unit elements during a single season. Should a driver use more than this, a grid penalty will be imposed. The six engines are the internal combustion engine, the motor generator unit kinetic, or the MGUK, the motor generator unit heat, the MGUH, the energy store, ES, the turbocharger, and control electronics. The penalties imposed for using additional elements work thus. The first time a fifth of any of the elements is used, a 10-place grid penalty will be imposed. A five-place grid penalty will then be imposed the first time a fifth of the remaining elements is used. Likewise, the sixth time a sixth of any of the elements is used, a 10-place grid penalty will be imposed, and so on. The next piece of it, and this is a change that came out last year because Mercedes gained, actually before I even get to that. So at the end of 2014, the way this worked was um, if you got, say, 40 places in grid penalties, well, you only have a grid of 22 cars, what happens with the last of those penalties? Well, what they did at the end of 2014 was they would carry over the remaining penalties for the subsequent races. So if you were only able to, to drop back three places and you had a 25-place grid penalty, you were still facing your next race 22-place penalty and so on until you made it all the way through. Yeah, fun, huh? So then they turned around and said, okay, we're not going to do that because that's just 
kind of crazy. So then we get to 2015 and they go, all right, any unused penalty that you have, we're going to make that a time penalty for the race, mm-hmm. which even then McLaren fell afoul of that one and I believe ended up spending sent, starting several races either going right into the pits for a stop-go penalty at the end of the first lap or just starting from the pit from the pit and waiting out their time penalties they made that go away too and they finally turned around and said i I believe it was the end of 2015 that okay if you end up with so many penalties that you end up at the back of the grid no matter what happens you end up at the back of the grid you're done right you've paid all your penalties no matter how many they really are so as ridiculous as it might be that you have a 70 place grid penalty the worst you will end up being is last now, how do you figure it out if you've got four cars who have grid penalties that put them at the back of the grid? That's based on your qualifying. It's actually not. No. Because, okay, you may have one driver who's got 15 grid penalties and another's got 22 and another's got 24. It's based on the – because everybody's at the back of the grid at that point, it's who tells the uh, the – race director first oh interesting yes that's an interesting twist on that i would have thought that it you know you you take your qualifying position i qualified 10th i've got a 10 grid place penalty i'm now 20th um but but okay you qualify 10th and you have a 10 place or, or let's let's go with a 15 grid place grid penalty so that guarantees you're at the back okay so i'm at i should be i should be at 25th and then you get the guy who qualifies in fourth, but he's got a 30-place grid penalty. Okay, so he should be like 26. But, I mean, all you got to do is calculate the grid penalty. The, you calculate this but, imaginary but, long but, grid. But what, but what if um, the grid penalties puts multiple cars in the same location? Okay, well. And and that that's why they figured it, it's the person who goes, the team that goes to Charlie Whiting first and says, hey, we need to replace these components, they get priority. Okay. That's how it works. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Now, the last thing that was done, it was a change going into this year because Mercedes played this game last year. It used to be that you could turn around knowing that you were going to get penalties. You could turn around and say, okay, I've got this engine. I need to change out the engine. It is, you know, we got eight races left before the end of the season, and I'm out of spares here. If I blow up an engine and replace, and I, I got to upgrade now, I'm going to take penalties. If this blows up in three weeks, I got nothing left. I got to take more penalties, and it's a heated season. Well, what if you turn around and for every phase of the weekend, up to before qualifying, you replace an engine. Keep up all of those qualifying things. This It's all a new spec engine or whatever, but you now have a stockpile of spare engines that you've run. Mm-hmm. You've gotten the penalty, the associated penalties for all of those engines at your current race, but now you've got three engines that you've stockpiled because you've already run them. They're not new engines at that point. So three races down, you blow up an engine, you go to one of those spares, you drop that in now because you didn't have spares. You No penalty because you've already run, run the engine, right? That's, that's, that's how it works, right? That's the way it worked for Mercedes last year. That's how it, the way it worked for Mercedes last year. You can't do that anymore. 
you turn around and you race three different engines so that you you build up that that bank of spares the only one that counts is the last one that you run mm -hmm. if you go back to the other two engines um you get they're penalties they're considered new. yeah <laughs> mm. and that is so typical of f1 find a loophole close a loophole yeah. find a loophole close a loophole um okay so back to my whole how do you figure out the grid thing mm-hmm you qualify as high as you possibly can qualify, and then you take your penalty and you subtract. Mm -hmm. But going into Monza, I don't know if you noticed this, but I think Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas were like two people, two of the only people, and maybe Stroll and Ocon, that didn't have grid penalties. The Ferraris didn't either. They didn't either? They just they, they drove just like didn't, crap. They just didn't do well. Yeah. I don't think the Williams, no, the Williams didn't, and the Force Indias did. Okay, so only Red Bull and, of course, McLaren had grid penalties. <laughs> I think the Saubers did. I mean, um, there were a bunch of grid penalties. Yeah, there were a lot. So you have to kind of go through everybody on the grid. You keep pushing people back, and you resort all the way through. Qualify as high as you can, take the subtraction. Pretty simple. Well, what happened at Monza was Hulkenberg from Renault had a five-grid penalty for his gearbox. Mm -hmm. Well, he qualified 12th. Yeah. But because of all of the other people in front of him that also had grid penalties, he wound up in 14th. Because <laughs> yeah, he wound up moving up three and then, because of the people behind him and then moving back to 14th. So there's a combination of stuff that goes on with the whole grid penalty thing. Now, again, the whole reason that Formula One went this route is, believe it or not, this was actually... a and an, an exercise in cost savings. Mm -hmm. The idea was, um, if you go back to the the 90s and into the 80s, um, in addition to the in-season testing, it wasn't unusual for teams to turn around and run one engine in, in one practice session, swap out to another engine for the next practice session, to swap out to another engine for the next practice session, to swap out for another one for qualifying, um, and that, was, that might, would be what they would run for the race. So they turned around to stop all of those games from happening. They decided to limit the teams on the number of engines that they could have. Right. Thereby costing less money. Now, what it does is it also means that you limit down development, which that, is biting Honda, our favorite punching yeah. bag, in the bottom. Yeah. Um, now, Ross Braun has come out and said that they need, to, they, they need a better strategy. This is not working. Um, he said, I hate the fact that we're having to affect the racing because of technical issues. I know you can say if a car breaks down in a race, that's a technical issue and you've affected the race. But I think the fans understand that. For a fan to stomach that his hero is on the back of the grid because he had to change the engine, that's not great sport. We've got to find a solution to that, either through a different form of penalty or to remove the penalty altogether and just live with the problem that it was trying to fix. Mm -hmm. And th there's a yes and no there. From a perspective of the we need to keep changing engines to improve and whatever, so we're just going to bump you back. Yeah, I get it's expensive and I get it's a problem. And, and there needs to be some kind of a limit to go. But how about we stop with this? We're giving you a 25-place penalty. And just the – if you need to change an engine for a performance-related issue, you go to the back of the grid. Mm -hmm. 
period. That's that's the end of it. You're at the back of the grid. You start last. And again, do it based on you know who come, came forward first and said that they needed to go and, and let them fight their way through the grid. The other question, though, the other thought is, and, and he even mentions it here, what if the other solution, since this is truly a team move and a team decision, that when a team makes a decision like this to swap out an engine, that they have to uh, forfeit constructors' points. Oh, that's interesting. Not championships' points for the driver. So it doesn't impact the driver's standing, but it impacts the team's standing. And since the team gets money based on where they end up in the constructors, not for where their driver ends up in the driver's championship, that could have a big impact. Well, and the whole goal is to make the teams think, do I really need this engine mm -hmm. versus um, I'm going to trade every little piece of it out every time because I have buckets of money. And if you're constantly having to weigh that you need it, but allow them to have, and this is my biggest complaint about it, is I want the teams, when they need an engine, to have an engine. Well, that, and, and, and that's the thing of... How do you turn around and meter it from the 80s and 90s? Let's run through five different engines a, a, a weekend mm -hmm. to, you know, multiple weekends go by before you swap out that engine. I mean, yeah, and you have to regulate it. There's not a reasonableness clause. Mm -hmm. But you got to – I want – he's right, and I have a lot of respect for Ross – I want my hero to be where he belongs on the grid, not to mention the fact it's safer that way. If we get really good and honest, it's safer. Yeah, but there's something to be said when you have a, a Lewis Hamilton or a Sebastian Vettel or a Daniel Ricciardo who start at the back of the grid and manage to turn around and end a race in fourth or on the podium. Yep. Those are legendary races to watch. They really are. Unless it's Monza this weekend, and even though Daniel drove the wheels off his car and went from 16th to 4th, still a boring race. Well, and in, for, for that particular area, I think that's where um, the world feed let everybody down. Because you can't tell me there weren't some great moments in Daniel's run. They had to. And we didn't see any of them. We didn't see any of them. However... The Steve Jones called out Daniel and said that he was masterfully honey badgered. Yes, the the, the honey badger was definitely uh, out there this past weekend. Yep. But back to engines and and the, the Honda Circus. Back to the circus. Actually, a little more to to Renault at this point because that's where the direction seems to be shifting. First off, uh, Cyril Bitbull said that they are not an option for Fernando. Now. That's important for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is Fernando's world championships that he won were with Renault. Mm -hmm. But also, Fernando says he wants to be in a winning car. He wants to be at the front. He wants to have a chance. He wants to fight. Cyril Abitbul, that's the reason why he says that they're not ready for him. He doesn't believe the program will deliver him a car that will make him happy and allow him to be competitive. Ooh. So on, on one hand, 
it's impressive that they're that aware that the program is not there yet. And on the other, it's kind of tragic that the program's not there yet. On both hands, yeah. Yeah. I think we already mentioned the, the whole Sauber thing. We did. Okay, so we can move past that. So while we're still talking about uh, Renault, um, Max Verstappen and his finishing. Coming into this weekend, he's got a 50% finish rate. He's had a rough season. And it's it's not all his fault. Um, once again, he, he did not finish in Spa due to an engine issue. Mm-hmm. Um, coming out of this weekend, or, or coming out of Spa, he said he would prefer that when his engines fail, they would blow up. Which, at first, it seems kind of dumb. Or it's, it's an odd, it seems like an odd comment to make until you hear what actually happened in Spa. What happened? So um, he, a sensor in the engine uh, forced the engine to shut down after detecting an increase in pressure inside the fourth cylinder of the car. Killed his whole race, killed everything, shut everything down. They brought the car back in. They go and they do their, their post-race analysis to figure out what happened and why. They disconnected the sensor. They pulled the spark plug in the engine, put the spark the same spark plug back in, reconnected the the sensor, and it started back up again. Mm. His point isn't so much the I really want my car to explode and and in it to be the spectacular failure. It's the I don't want to get knocked out of a race because a sensor gave a bad reading. Right. Give me something real. Something has to break. Yeah. And, and that's the and, – and, and I think there you're right. I mean if you get knocked out of a race because something's broken on a car, that's a very different feeling than the computer says something's not right. But there, there's actually nothing wrong. Right. And yeah, there I – I can't fault the comment there. Yeah. I can understand. Um, however, Red Bull's pissed. Red Bull's pissed. Red Bull's pissed. Um, Christian Horner said coming out of Spa, um, they need to Red Bull or Renault rather needs to sort out its reliability problems because, as he puts it, the team is not getting what it pays for. Ooh. And I think he's right there. Um, Christian says Renault are, are quite aware that its re- reliability and product isn't where it should be. It's their business to sort that out. We're a paying customer, and it's obviously below par the service we are seeing at this point because in time, or, or at this point in time, because of the reliability issues and the failures. We pay a hell of a lot of money for that engine. They need to sort it out. <laughs> it's hurting them as much as it's hurting ourselves. At this level, you can't afford the kind of failures that we're consistently seeing. Wow. Yeah. That's... Now, for their part, and this is a little different. For their part, Renault and, and specifically their managing director, Cyril Abitpool, admits that their reliability level is not acceptable. Okay. Um, which, if you recall, in the past, when we went through this in, what, 2015? Um, Renault was kind of silent yes. on that topic. Red Bull wasn't. No. But Renault was, was fairly silent on that. 
But um, Cyril Abitbull told Motorsport that we're not too, basically we're not too bothered by the performance of our car anymore. We're extremely bothered by the reliability. Um, and because it wasn't for them, now that they've got skin in the game, it wasn't just the Red Bulls that died, and it wasn't just Caviat's uh, Toro Rosso. It hit their own cars too. Right. You know, Jolie and Palmer had their own issues. So he says that's a concern. For me, it's still the sort of fragility of the Renault program in general that really needs to be addressed as a priority. Performance is where it needs to be given our map. Reliability is not. Wow. So, yeah, they need to sort that mess out. Yep. Now, we, we mentioned earlier in the show the, the McLarens taking advantage of the, the aerodynamic toe mm -hmm. and how well that worked for them. Monza is another track where the toe comes into play, and it comes into play a lot. Well, it's a very—it's the fastest track on the season. Yeah, it's got it. It, it depends. Your success there really depends on straight line speed. Mm -hmm. And this slipstream's toe is one of the ways to pass in Monza, and it's passing is possible. It's one of the few tracks that we don't hear in the build-up. Passing's not possible. Passing is possible at Monza, um, but one of the ways that you do it is you catch the slipstream and get the toe. But one of the requirements of this, and I have to call this out, one of the requirements to pull off the toe and to do it well is that you have to have two drivers on the same team who are getting along with each other and who cooperate with each other. Oh. Something that does not exist over at Toro Rosso. <laughs> As you recall, I believe it was going into Baku, Carlos Sainz saying that he would um, wasn't going to do anything to make any effort to help uh, Daniel Kvyat ever again. Right. Um, because Kvyat was not returning the favor for him. Um, well, going into this week, uh, Carlos Sainz was at an event for Acronis, which is a Toro Rosso sponsor, and he was asked about the toe. What he had to say is, it's something that can be a bit of a curveball sometimes if you don't do it perfectly. He says, I think McLaren was a very special situation because one of the drivers was taking a massive penalty and he was going to start last. So they really went for it because it makes sense. For others, you can be either a hero or an idiot if you don't do it properly. So it is something very, very tricky to put together. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's looking right at Daniel Kvy out there. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, several of the teams do not work well together right now. I'm quite yeah. sure that uh, the Force Indias probably weren't doing it either. Weren't doing that either. But yes, the toe was very, very critical. Um, but that makes some sense. Um, I know you didn't want to talk too much about Monza. Not that I think there's much to talk about with Monza. Have we gotten through all of the post spa pre Monza? news and excitement we have um Whoa. so i think the the only thing i will say now just because i don't want to lose it next week is okay we, we had the race in monza and there was a lot of question going into last year in particular as to whether or not monza was going to remain on the on the calendar because historically monza is a big race for Formula One. 
Mm-hmm. I think we're what two years out from their hundredth anniversary, and I mean it, it's it's a big deal, and it's a big race for Ferrari and the fans. I mean the podium ceremony is really cool. They call Monza the Cathedral of Speed because it is the lowest downforce, fastest track in Formula One. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of a deal that was made going into the season about how Formula One needed to be faster in order to be more exciting, and we needed to give that speed and everything. And you look at what Monza's been the last, not just this year, but the last several years, the fastest track of the season. And it doesn't really produce great races. No. It really doesn't. Um, We have always joked that Monza is always one of two things. It is either incredibly boring Mm -hmm. or there's an incident. And if there's an incident, it's in like one of two places. Mm -hmm. It's going to be either at that first chicane or it's going to be towards the back over by Ascari but that's it this time around there were no safety cars there was no and there hasn't been safety cars at Monza in years yeah there's no reason I mean I think the only time that Monza has a potential to get exciting is if it rains now qualifying was really cool because it rained yeah so this week I will sum up with qualifying actually cooler than the race and as much as I don't want Monza to leave Formula One, it doesn't produce great races. But I also think that people need to think it through. I, we, I have always said that what people are asking for is not what they're asking for. They, they are, they're saying, I want faster racing. They mean I want more exciting racing. Mm-hmm. They say, I want passing but what, what they're trying to say is they want passes. What they don't understand is they're trying to artificially create these things. And yeah. the passing occurs in the pit stops or they can't pass because they're so aero-dependent or whatever because they've done all of these other things. We want conditions that allow close racing. Right. Because, you, I mean, you don't even necessarily want the passing because passes under DRS typically aren't all that thrilling. No, I want wheel to wheel. You you want the drivers to be able to jockey for position. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. But people are asking because they think in their mind that they want the drivers to drive flat out because they heard too many drivers say, well, we're lifting and coasting in the corners to do fuel savings or we're doing this or we're doing that. Controlling the pace because we're 30 seconds ahead of our, our opponents. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. And, oh, well, it must be because we can't go fast enough. Well, that's not your problem. And here's a racetrack that should prove that you're asking for the wrong thing. Yeah. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. (laughs) 
a little break? Okay. Whew.